Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now here on SciFiPulseRadio.com. Um, with us today we have the excellent Mark Zickery, who you might you know for his work on um, on Star Trek Phase 2 for the episode World Enough and Time. He's also um, been an executive producer and writer on Sliders. And just recently he's been working on a fantastic looking new series which has been in development for quite some time called space command so mark welcome to the show it's great having you on again well thanks ian i'm really glad to be back well you know it's all like it seems like a, a lot's happened over the last few years since we last uh, last spoke to each other so um first off i've got i want to like catch up on some questions but i, I just want to like, do do a quick uh you know, quick recap of what we've done. Um, we spoke to you three years years ago, which was the first time. It was 2013, and it was when you just started gearing up for Space Command yes. um, on Kickstarter. And you were in the pro- pro- process back then of, uh, of casting the show. Uh, yes. Since then, you've cast the whole thing, and you started a regular video blog that gives updates as well as your insights into various TV shows and films, which I think is absolutely brilliant because I love watching it. I've actually watched some of the episodes twice. <laughs> so <laughs> That's great. You know, cause it's, um, cause it's, 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 it's such a great way to sort of catch up with what you're doing and some of your insights. And I especially love your critiques of movies. Um, so before we actually get to catching up on Space Command, I wanted to, you know, quickly touch base with you about, you know, your Twilight, your Twilight Zone stuff, because sure. there, there is some, some, there is some work, work going on to bring back, bring that back. And, and I'm wondering yes. uh, what you think that might look like, given that we have uh, things like Black Mirror now, which are a little bit edgier. Um, what do you think a new version of Twilight Zone would have to do now to sort of like stand out in, in, in well, today's marketplace? Well, you know, it's really interesting because I just uh, wrote the, uh, the new edition of the Twilight Zone Companion. It's actually coming out in the next few days, and I greatly expanded the book, and it has hundreds of new photos and audio and video links to all sorts of stuff. And, um, and so I've actually been in touch with Jordan Peele's office because Jordan has uh, been given the reins of the new Twilight Zone. They've actually ordered an entire season of it. And, uh, 
So I'll be interviewing him, and the new Twilight Zone companion will actually include a link to that interview. And um, I think it's, I think it's a really I think it's really hopeful. I think it's a really good choice because uh, Get Out was exactly what the Twilight Zone represented. It was basically uh, it, it delivered with the scares and with the fantastic concept, but it also had um, social commentary and also was funny. And so it really did a lot of wonderful things. And I think Rod Serling would have really approved of and liked that movie. And so when I heard that Jordan Peele was given um, the new Twilight Zone, I thought, okay, that's that's a step in the right direction because uh, uh, you know in the past when they've tried to bring Twilight Zone back, it's either been talented writers but no single vision from the 80s. I was actually a writer on that show, and but it also had George R.R. R. Martin and Rock Neil Bannon, who created Farscape, and um, uh, Harlan Ellison, and, and so forth. And so it was a great writing team, but very hit and miss. And then they brought it back again with Forrest Whitaker, and you'd watch those episodes and say, well, what, what's Forrest Whitaker got to do with the Twilight Zone? And so there was a disconnect, an, an artistic disconnect. Jordan Peele, I think, as, as a very talented uh, and, and intelligent writer-director, uh, I think uh, I, I, it's a show I'll, I'll be very interested in seeing. I mean, I've watched um, a number of episodes of Black Mirror, and I think it's extremely well done, but so dark. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was one episode, San Junipero, that, that was a little more upbeat and, and hopeful, and I quite liked that episode. But, but generally, I can take Black Mirror only in very small doses because it's so, so, so... Um, depressing but yeah, uh, but I admire it I think I admire it more than I, I like it actually and um, and then and you were mentioning my Mr. Sci-Fi YouTube channel and it's very fun because the, the genesis of that was that uh, I was having lunch with my friend Glenn Mazzaro who had been the showrunner on Walking Dead and he said you're such an expert on science fiction you should have your own YouTube channel and I thought, okay, great. And so I just started logging about once a week my, my opinions on um, science fiction books and TV shows and movies. And, of course, when the new Twilight Zone debuts, I'll be posting about that. And ironically, I actually wrote one of the scripts I wrote for the, for the new Twilight Zone back when CBS brought the show back. Um, was uh, it was going to be directed by Doug Hayes, who directed Eye of the Beholder and The After Hours and mm-hmm. The Howling Man, great episodes of the original Twilight Zone. And then a week before prep, uh, the censors pulled the plug on it. It was called Knife Through the Veil, and it was a really it's a script I'm very proud of. And uh, uh, in fact, Katie Sackoff of uh, Battlestar Galactica had wanted actually to do it in more recent years, and that hadn't come to fruition. But when I sit down with Jordan Peele, I'm certainly going to mention that script and, and see if he has interest in finally making that that long, um, uh, hidden Twilight Zone episode that I wrote. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll definitely keep my fingers crossed for you there, because I, you know, I'd, I'd actually love to see it. Because I, I have actually heard you mention that when you were talking about uh, Black Mirror and Twilight Zone in one, one of your blog posts. Um, I mean, I've actually been recently re-watching the, uh, the Blu-ray box set of the originals and it just totally blows me away how well those stories still stand up and the acting performances are phenomenal. I know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, when you look at the shows from that same era and how um, quaint they seem, many of them, you know, the, the, the cop shows or the cowboy shows or whatever... And uh, I mean, when you really look at what was on the same time, Bonanza and Gunsmoke and, you know, the, you know, these shows that seem lost in the mists of time. And then you watch Twilight Zone and it's certainly of its era, but it's so powerful. It really ranks with the best, you know, of anything that's been done in, a, in, in any visual medium. And uh, and yes, the actors are phenomenal. I mean, Lee Marvin and, and Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery and on and on. I mean, hundreds and hundreds. Burgess Meredith, of course, Bill Mooney, Jack Klugman, phenomenal performances. And um, I mean, it's very fun to be the world's expert on The Twilight Zone because I wrote that book right out of college. It was the first thing I started working on, and um, it's been in print ever since. And 
you know, on the Blu-ray, I, as you know, I did 52 episode commentaries, and so you can actually listen to me talk for three hours when you yeah. buy that Blu-ray set. And that, but that still leaves uh, the 104 episodes I haven't done commentaries on. So eventually, I'll probably get around just to doing that, and I might make that downloadable content or something. Um, because since I, you know, I certainly have opinions on all those episodes, and it was very fun on the Blu-ray set because I not only had people like George Clayton Johnson and Earl Hamner comment on their episodes, which was great, because now. Sadly, they're no longer with us. But also, I reached out to all these showrunners who had been inspired by Twilight Zone to create their own great shows, like Matt, uh, Matt Weiner of Mad Men and, of course, Neil Gaiman, you know, who did American Gods and so mm -hmm. forth. And they did commentaries with me, too, on, on their favorite Twilight Zone episodes. So that was great fun. And so I'd probably continue that uh, with people like, you know, J.J. Abrams and Vince Gilligan and, and so forth. I mean, pretty much everyone working in drama, particularly drama of the fantastic, is a huge Twilight Zone fan. Uh, Ron Moore, of course, who did Battlestar Galactica and Outlander. And um, so I think, you know, eventually I'll just gather my friends together and we'll just, you know, do, do some more commentaries because uh, there's a lot of great episodes to go. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all like, uh, you know, it's amazing um, to think back then uh, a season of television was, you know, often anywhere between so like 26 to 29 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think one, one season of Twilight Zone was actually 39 episodes. So it's pretty phenomenal. They just, uh, yeah, they were they were cranking them out and uh, phenomenal. When you realize that Rod Serling would be writing, you know, a, a walking distance one week and then the next week he might be writing the after hours I mean his output is staggering in terms of the quality I mean he wrote of the 156 episodes of Twilight Zone he wrote 92 of them himself wow. uh, and it's just staggering over a five year period and he was also writing movies like Seven Days in May and doing the Twilight Zone short story collections and I mean on and on I mean the guy he was an astonishing and prolific writer Mm -hmm. um, your, your, your Twilight Zone companion, the, uh, the updated one, uh, I, w w what's the uh, schedule on that? Are you looking to try and release it at Christmas? No, it's actually going to come out in the next few days. You can actually go on Amazon and, and order it. And uh, it's the Twilight Zone Companion 3rd Edition. And uh, But the fun part, the really fun part about it, I mean, in addition to, I did a new interview with Rod's daughter, Jody. I did a new interview with George Takei. I updated a lot of the episodes because I learned more about them subsequent to when I wrote the book. But also, the, the one of the most fun things is that when I was writing the original version back in the 70s and early 80s, uh, if you wanted to watch like some of Rod's work from the 1950s, like Requiem for Heavyweight or Patterns, or some of these rarities, you know, you'd have to go to a university and put a 16 millimeter print on a moviola and watch it on an editing editing machine. And now, thanks to the internet, you can find all this stuff. So I just hunted down, you know, lectures that Rod Serling gave and commercials he did and TV shows he wrote for in the 50s and so forth, and just you know put together a little um, link. Uh, so that when you buy the book, you can log on to that and you can watch all this stuff and listen to it. And, um, you know, it's, it's just phenomenal. And, uh, and I also found that uh, there's an episode of The Hunt called The Hunt of the Twilight Zone that uh, Earl Hamner wrote. And he originally did that as a live skit on the Kate Smith Hour in the 1950s. And the, uh, the lead in that version was played by uh, John Carradine and the Angel was played by James Dean. And wow. we have a clip from that, that that people can watch as well. So that's it's just really fun. Yeah. Jimmy Dean. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Yeah, you know, and yeah, another tragic actor that we lost too soon, you know, back in back in yes. the day. I mean, it's all like... Yes. 
Yeah, but that's where film and TV are so great because you can see their performances. Uh, when you hear about actors from the 19th century and earlier, you can just hear about them by reputation. But but thanks to TV and film, you can watch Humphrey Bogart and all these amazing actors that are, are long gone. So thank God for this, this amazing medium of, of filmed entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I was actually quite amazed to learn um, was that you actually wrote an episode of the animated Hulk series, which I thought was a yes. true revelation. Um, you know, and I thought I'd ask you this, especially in light of the fact that uh, we, you know, we've recently had a Avengers Affinity War hit, which I thought was yes. absolutely awesome. <laughs> even yes. even though I kind of knew what was going to happen in a roundabout way, because if you're a comic book reader, you will. <laughs> um, but um, would you mind talking a little bit about? about that um yes. maybe give some insight into how you actually how you actually approach writing superheroes as a writer when you was doing animation and and stuff sure yeah i mean it was it was fun because uh when i was in college i you know i decided i started as an artist and but i'd always known i would either be an artist or a writer and so uh, i sold my first short story at 19 and then got out of college and knew i wanted to be a tv writer and uh, writer producer and I met a young man named um, Michael Reeves. Michael Reeves was a teaching assistant uh, in a class taught by Theodore Sturgeon, the great science fiction writer. Mm -hmm. And um, Michael and I became friends, and Michael was writing animation and uh, invited me to come collaborate with him. And all, very quickly, it was obvious I could write animation on my own, but that got me into television. So I was writing. The first thing we wrote together was a, an episode of a TV show called Space Stars, and that starred a character named Space Ghost. And that was great fun. And then I wrote for Smurfs and super friends and real ghostbusters and on on and on just tons of shows i was writing for all the major animation studios and all the networks and um and then um uh marvel was just starting up as a company to do television and i one of their first film one of their first shows if not the first show was the incredible hulk and uh and so because i was always in great demand uh they approached me and so I, I, you know, and you just come up with an idea. So that in this, it was, sorry, I came up with an idea for a story where um, there's a matter transportation device and um, Bruce Banner transforms in, you know, while he's being teleported. So the Hulk um, arrives and tears up the machine in his rage, of course. And everyone thinks that he's, that the Hulk has killed Bruce Banner. And it was just this fun notion. And um, so, and I, I wrote it and it got animated and aired and, <laughs> and, you know, but the fun part is that, you know, I haven't even seen it since I wrote it. And, uh, and then when the Avengers came out, I thought it'd be very fun to have the, the title on my review of the Avengers uh, movie to say Hulk writer on Avengers Infinity War. And so then I just went on Google, you know, I went on YouTube and I found, you know, th that uh, that episode. So I was able to actually link that on my Facebook page where people can watch it uh, in its entirety. And, uh, you know, so it's very, very fun. But it was really fun writing for superhero cartoon shows because... Uh, um, I grew up reading comics, both DC and Marvel, so I was very conversant with, you know, Superman and Green Lantern and the Hulk and, you know, all of them, you know, Captain America, etc., Fantastic Four. And uh, and so it was, it was really, really great fun to be able to write the Hulk. And, uh, you know, and then over the years, you know, I've gotten to write for so many iconic characters, including the Star Trek, you know, guys. And uh, so it's been really an honor. And... Uh, so you know, it's it's just it's just great fun. It was just fun. I mean, you know, who wouldn't have fun writing the Hulk? Mm -hmm. And uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was just just really really um, you know, it was just a gas. And the 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 one regret I have is that years later, when I was on, I think I was on Sliders, 
uh, Michael Reeves was story editing Batman the Animated Series and he wanted me to write an episode and I declined and in oh. retrospect I, sh I should have done it I should have done it but that was the one the one that got away but, uh, but it was very fun writing animation and a lot of the people we were working with in, in animation were also writing for comics so we worked with people like Marv Wolfman and Len Wein and um, Paul Dini and they of course went on you know they were they, they're very well known uh, comic book writers as well mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I guess you probably had a bit of a smashing time then with Hulk. Yes, yes, very sorry, funny. Sorry about the yes, really, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, but, but you know, it's funny because often you'll be working on a number of different projects simultaneously, and you'll come up with a number of ideas for a variety of characters. So you might just in conversation be someone might be writing for some of the other Marvel characters or for some of the other DC characters. Uh, a character I always wanted to write about, uh, one of my favorite comic books was Magnus Robot Fighter. I read, the, I have an entire run of that, that original Gold Key comics from when I was a kid. And uh, that's, that's one great character who's never been done in film or TV. And I, I, I think that would be a, a really fun opportunity if, if we ever get around to making that, that, mm. that project. So I'd love that. I can't say I've actually ever heard that character. Can you give us a uh, oh. quick premise? Sure. The basic notion is it, it was illustrated by Russ Manning, who's a wonderful artist, and it was published by Gold Key in the 1960s. And uh, the basic premise is it takes place in a future North America where robots serve everyone's needs. And so they're basically running everything. It's, it's sort of like a very... Um, it's the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove where humanity has become uh, passive and the robots are ruling everything. And uh, an orphan boy is raised by a, a, a dissident robot in a domed... Um, facility under the ocean and when he's old enough he's developed martial arts skills where he can basically destroy robots with his bare hands and he's then sent to North America to basically raise an insurrection against the robots and it's a really fun comic and uh, beautifully drawn, beautifully written and uh, and so yeah it was one of my favorites when I was a kid, Magnus, Magnus Robot Fighter so mm -hmm. definitely check it out but the, the original ones drawn by Russ Manning are the best and they've brought it back a couple times subsequently in comic books. So, uh, but uh, but yes, but you know, but but even when I was writing for Super Friends or any of these characters, I mean, it's just just really fun, and it's so interesting that now these are the the the, the characters in all the blockbuster movies, and um, and I've just been approached to do a new project I can't talk about, but it's again a very iconic um, figure. And and when I can talk about it, people will go, wow, that's really, really, really great. There's a company that just approached me and they're hiring me to develop a series. And right. I'll be able to talk about this in the near future, I think. So, um, but... Uh but it's very fun, very, very fun. I mean, we live, in, we live in this pop culture stew where we have sort of this shared mythology. I mean, back in the days of Greek and, you know, the, the Greeks and the, Ro the Romans, you know, you'd have, you know, Zeus and Apollo and all those characters that were the shared mythology. But now the shared mythology is, you know, Daredevil and <laughs> Spider-Man and, and Batman and Superman and so forth. So, uh, mm -hmm. but Stan Lee, I, it's funny, I was talking to someone the other day and, you know, Bob Kane created one iconic character with Batman. Siegel and Schuster created one iconic character with um, Superman. But Stan Lee created so many iconic characters with his artists, you know, where, whether it's Thor or Spider-Man or I mean, on and on, Iron Man, it just keeps going, and dozens of amazing characters. So Stan Lee is really, he may be the most successful writer who's ever lived, considering the, the money that his, his creations have earned. Mm, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I even, I, I even remember his, uh, his first television cameo in the Incredible Hulk movie, where he's a member of the jury <laughs> in the trial <laughs> with the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> yeah. You know, he actually came and shot um, on our Space Command uh, sets about three years ago. And so, um, so there's a video on Mr. Sci-Fi of me talking with Stan. And um, 
he was really just an amazingly gracious man, and you could not believe he was in his 90s. He, you would have easily thought he was in his 70s. I mean, it was, uh, he did not seem his age at all. And uh, just an amazing, um, amazingly vital, vital guy. And uh, I'm, I'm really honored to have met him. And I brought a few of my original comics, Marvel comics from the '60s, which he was kind enough to sign. And that's uh, that was just a dream come true. It was really terrific. Uh, I, I, I bet it was. I mean, it's all like uh, it's so good being able to meet your heroes sometimes, you know. Yes. And, yes. Uh, it's, but then it's again, wonderful. then again, there are, there are occasions when it can disappoint as well. Yes, that, yes, yeah. but but you know most most of, most of the time you meet them and they're gracious. You know it's rare that someone will be a jerk. Um, you know it's uh, I was very lucky when I was a kid. I got a Christmas present of a trip to the original Star Trek set, and I was actually on the set for the last Star Trek episode ever filmed, Turnabout Intruder. So that was phenomenal to be to, to be seeing Shatner and you know all the Star Trek actors uh, working on the re the original sets. I sat in the captain's chair. I stood on the transporter and looked up and saw the little screwed in light bulb. You know and. <laughs> And um, and then as an adult to be able to work with George Takei and you know Majel Barrett and Grace Lee Whitney again when you get to work with actors who just part were, were basically part of formulating who you are that's just such a, a huge honor you know such a such a treat. Um, another thing that you've uh, talked a fair bit about on on YouTube is your connections. To the fantastically Guillermo del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, yeah, Guillermo del Toro, Guillermo del yes. Toro, and you've yes. you've recently um you've you've recently done a book um yes called uh, yeah. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Uh, that's right. What what what, what, can, what can you tell us about that? And what do you think you learned about his work when writing mm. this that perhaps that perhaps most surprised you? Yes. Well, you know, it was a really a remarkable thing to have uh, the honor of working with Guillermo. It was um, the way that came about was uh, I'd long, you know, I, I, I search after mentors to learn from. And, you know, Ray Bradbury was my mentor for over 10 years. That was a, a huge honor. And, uh, and I, I very much sought out Guillermo just to learn from him. And we'd met each other a couple of times at Comic-Con and he was a fan of my work as well. And, uh, and then uh, I was nominated, when I did the Star Trek episode with George Takei, I was nominated for the Hugo and Nebula, which are the two top awards in science fiction. And Pan's Labyrinth was nominated opposite that. He was in contention for the same awards. So his publisher reached out to me and uh, asked if I would write the, this book with Guillermo. And I said, of course, yes. And uh, we met and just hit it off fabulously. Uh, from the first moment we sat down to talk, it was obvious that the chemistry was great. And, um, and so the... Uh, so we we wrote this book about his creative process. It's about his notebooks and his films and his life, his uh, enthusiasms, and it's this big coffee table book. It's a gorgeous book, and so. But I but there was a book I read when I was younger called uh, Hitchcock Truffaut, which was Francois Truffaut interviewing Hitchcock about his entire body of work. And when I sat down with Guillermo, I said, "This is what I have in mind for this book," and he said, "Yes, absolutely." So the book. So I wrote interstitial material about all of his films and about his life, an introductory chapter as well. But then the book of the book is a conversation between the two of us and they didn't know about me uh, when they when they hired me was that in addition to writing and directing and producing i also have a degree uh, uh, in uh, painting sculpture and graphic arts so i was a i was a professional artist before i was a, a writer in fact i had gallery shows when i was a teenager and um uh, so I, my, my knowledge of art history is very very good and so we could talk extremely uh, in, in in great depth about artists, artists that Guillermo was uh, passionate about, and and I also knew a lot of the same uh, writers that he was a fan of as well. Though there was a group of painters called the Symbolists 
that I wasn't that that uh, familiar with. So I actually had to educate myself about them. And of course, some of the novelists that he loved, some of the writers he loved, I would have to delve into their work. Um, for instance, the author of The King in Yellow, uh, just to, again, be able to keep up with Guillermo, because he's so brilliant. Uh, you want to be able to make sure you get all of his references. Wow. And uh, so it was, it was terrifically fun writing the book. And we did it before he did Shape of Water. But I saw him recently and he said, we've got to update the book. And it's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. So, uh, but it was very funny because through doing the Guillermo book, I met uh, Doug Jones. And I, I won the Saturn Award a few years ago and Doug was at the event. And uh, I just, we struck up a conversation and, and then I took him out to lunch and we became friends. And I said, I'm going to write a role for you. And I wrote, wrote the lead, one of the leads in Space Command for Doug, and uh, he's just a phenomenal actor. So Guillermo and I share Doug Jones, and uh, you know Doug was the creature in Shape of Water, and he's been in many, many other uh, of Guillermo's films. And uh, so, uh, so Guillermo del Toro has been very good to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, Doug's in Star Trek Discovery as uh, Sa- Saru. Um, yes. And it's absolutely amazing how he can walk around in those heels. I mean, damn. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. commitment right there. <laughs> He's basically walking around on his tiptoes because there actually is no heel to that that fake foot, and uh, so uh, it's it's in the wide shot when he's walking. I don't think that's very comfortable at all. And uh, but he's a phenomenal actor, and I think he's done a lot with that role. And uh, and I'm very very honored for him to be in Space Command because you know I recognized his quality before he was in, in either Shape of Water or uh, or Star Trek Discovery. So I uh, but but we we had lunch recently and. Uh, I was laying out for him where, where his character in Space Command goes, and it's going to be very, very fun. It's going to be very fun to continue working with Doug. I, I can't wait for that. So uh, there's there's great days ahead. Cool. Um, we've seen a lot of reboots and reimaginings of May, and one show that you worked on as an executive producer and a writer was Sliders, uh, yes. which I really enjoyed. Uh, Thanks. So I'm actually wondering what your thoughts would be on doing a more modern version of Snyder's. What stories do you think could be done now that the series might have might have struggled with back back then in terms of production costs, effects, and and what? Yes. Happens? You know, do, do you think it could be done today? Yes, it could. I mean, it's a it's a fun. It was a very fun show to work on. I was I was the producer on the fourth season. We did twenty two episodes. I wrote a bunch of them and uh, and rewrote a bunch of them. My name. It's funny. My work is on a number of episodes that don't have my name on them because when it was a freelance script, I wouldn't put my name on it, even if I was rewriting it from stem to stern. Just because um, you don't do that. It's called credit jumping, and we don't approve of it. You you if you're on staff, you don't you don't put your name on something that you did was from a freelancer because it, it, for various reasons. But um, uh, so yes, in terms of doing sliders now. Uh, you have the, you, you can do a lot more in terms of effects, um, and there are many things in our society now that you could comment on uh, that were not the same back then. So, for instance, the internet was just really getting started back then. We did one episode that dealt with the internet, but not the way it it, it flourishes now. And so, you could definitely get into all of that. I mean, the fun part is that Jerry O'Connell, who starred in Sliders, is still around, still looks great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he was very fun to work with and very talented and. Uh, you know, so I mean, if I were going to reboot Sliders, I'd, I'd probably reach out to Jerry O'Connell because uh, you know he'd be fun to do it again with the idea that he's been you know sliding for twenty years or something. <laughs> it'd be, it would be a very, a very fun notion, but um, but yes, I mean, the, the, see, the lovely thing is there are sub, several subgenres of science fiction. There's there's the time travel story, the parallel parallel universe story, the you know the space opera, etc., and they're all extremely vibrant. 
uh, genres that that haven't that show no sign of waning. I mean, science fiction has always been great for for commenting on our society and and uh, and totalitarian uh, the terror to, the, 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 the you know the, the leaning toward totalitarian regimes. And mm-hmm. um, so definitely, well, I mean, when we were doing sliders, we were viewing it very much as as a a place where we could comment on our world uh, in terms of our society, our pol- political uh, makeup, everything. And so it was mainly social commentary. Uh, was what we had in mind, and so um, so yes, I think I think sliders now would be very timely. I'd I'd love to see them rebooted um, with the right people, you know, because uh, we've seen from many of the reboots that, that that have been airing on Netflix and elsewhere that um, you know sometimes they're good and sometimes they're less good. <laughs> and uh, but it's great that there's so much um, content now, and um, whether it's Handmaid's Tale or the New Lost in Space or the Expanse. I mean, there's original stuff being done and, and adaptations and reboots and, and all of it has great possibility. I think Westworld, the new Westworld is terrific. It's one of my favorite shows. It's one of mine too. Um, yeah. I, I love what they've done with it. It's, it's basically what they tried to do with the, uh, with the TV spinoff uh, yeah. in some ways, as in the, 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 um, the, 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 the robot host rebelling and, yes. and you know, and uh, I even remember the TV series. <laughs> <laughs> it's on, but the, but the, it's, oh, on go ahead. it's on youtube <laughs> yeah but the, but the new but the new show the one on hbo is just so phenomenal the cast is great the, and i just love the writing i love the production value i mean we'll see where the show goes i mean every season they've, they've, they've laid out seven seasons uh and each season apparently goes in very very different directions and so i whether the show can sustain or not we'll find out but so far so good and, and the cast is just great and it's very uh, female driven which is great the f- female leads are very strong and uh as characters and actors and um i've met a number of them and uh i'm just really glad they have this opportunity to do this show and i hope i hope it's a saying so far i'm enjoying it and i'm watching it every week and uh it's fascinating the the shows that come out every work week versus the ones that uh that they uh, the netflix releases en masse and uh you know so cause, for instance lost in space you know i just watched over a few days and was able to watch the entire season and uh but westworld's going to take months to watch to watch the season so you know i can see the pros and cons of both ways of doing things mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's, it's a brilliant series i've got to say um yes now moving on to uh something that i've been you know holding back on talking about for ages um <laughs> space command it's been a huge project of yours for, for quite yes. some time and um, you've been doing that as well as setting up a production company called Better Angels, which is, has yes. bases in NA, London and Dangus. So yes. I'm wondering if you could maybe, first and foremost, update us on the progress of Space Command and then even perhaps yes. touch on some of the projects that you, you, you may be having the works with Better Angels and, and, and yes. what, the, what the vision is so far for that. Sure. Great. Yes. Um, well, Space Command, it's really, it's really interesting because, first of all, my whole career, uh, I, I've sort of uh, taken on gigantic impossible projects and then pulled them off. So when I was 22, when I started writing The Twilight Zone Companion, the idea that a 22-year-old kid who had no credits, basically, I mean, I, I published one short story and hadn't even taken a journalism class, the fact that I could convince Rod Serling's widow to let me write a book about you know Rod Serling and The Twilight Zone was, you know amazing and but i pulled it off and um so so space command i knew going in was going to be a huge project very ambitious my idea was 
because I wanted to do a, a show that was a hopeful vision of the future. I wanted to do, do a show because at the time, a few years ago, all the science fiction was very dark, very dystopic. You know, Battlestar Galactica was a great show, but very grim. And, um, you know, and I wanted to do something that said we can we're going to have challenges in the future, but we can reach across boundaries and barriers and um, and and come together to create a better future, a future worth living in. It's basically the message that the, the original Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation conveyed. And I wanted to create something that would be equally inspiring. So uh, but I didn't want the, the powers that be. I didn't want the networks to be able to cut me off at script or cut me off at pilot. I wanted to be able to shoot it and have the audience see what I was doing. And uh, I run a roundtable here in L.A. where I mentor thousands of writers and directors and actors and producers and so forth. I've run it for 25 years to create a compassionate uh, community in Hollywood. And I've been hearing a lot about crowdfunding, and I'd never raised money. I'd, all, I'd written for all the major studios and networks. And, um, you know, like, for instance, when I wrote for Sliders, it was, I didn't have to raise $42 million. They just gave it to us, you know, to make a season. And... Um, so, but with Space Command, I didn't, I, I wanted to have control to say, this is what I have in mind. I didn't want notes from the network that would screw it up. I didn't want to have to ask permission for who I wanted to cast. I, I wanted autonomy. And I've always trusted my audience uh, and uh, because I'm the same as my audience. If I, if I think something's exciting and fun and, and moving, generally my audience will agree. Uh, my tastes are the same. And so, uh, so I just um, thought about this big show that would, would deal with several families. One's a military family. One's a family of explorers and scientists. And one's a uh, family of industrialists, essentially, and, and sort of like Steve Jobs. And, um, and, and then there would be uh, artificial humans, synthetics. That, uh, that's what Doug Jones plays. And, um, and it would cover 150 years. And it would be multi-generational. Uh, it would cover five generations. And two characters, Doug Jones' character, would be a viewpoint character who wouldn't age over the 150 years as we go out in space and colonize the solar system and jump to the stars. And then Mira Furlan, from Babylon, who I worked with on Babylon 5, she's been genetically altered, so she ages very, very slowly. And um, so she would be the other viewpoint character. And um, so I uh, decided to try a Kickstarter campaign, and our target was $75,000 to raise in uh, two months, and we raised that in three days, and we kept going, and we raised two hundred and twenty-one thousand. Wow! And that was enough. That was enough for me to open a studio, my studio. I mean, as soon as the campaign ended, I sat down and wrote the first eight hours of Space Command. It was I envisioned a twelve-hour uh, season, and the stories fit into two-hour storylines, but then there's a larger arc. And um, and so uh, so I started building my studio and building sets and hiring people and designing things and you know and all of that and so we the campaign ended in 2012 and we shot the first two hours in 2014 and with Mira Furlan, Bill Mumy from Battle from uh, from Babylon Five and Bruce Boxleitner he came in for a day as well and um, Robert Picardo from Star Trek Voyager and Stargate Atlantis and Doug Jones. And uh, Mike Harney from Orange is the New Black, and it went very, very well. But there were 1,900 visual effects shots, which was an enormous amount. And um, so very quickly I realized that I was going to have to keep raising money. And so I started selling investment shares for $7,500 each, and people started buying them because the plan was to finish the pilot, pitch the series, get the show on the air, get it on Netflix or Sci-Fi or Amazon or wherever, and be able to show exactly what, what we had in mind. And, and because, again, if I'd gone to a network and said, this is the cast I want, 
they would have said, Bill Mummy, Mary Furlan, who are these people? And I wouldn't have gotten the science fiction cast that the audience I knew would love. And um, so, again, I didn't have to ask permission. I just sat down and wrote it. And Elaine and I, my wife and I, wrote, write and direct and produce together. So I would write, like, the first draft, and then we, we would kind of bat it around. And we directed it together and produced it together. And um, so uh, so then we were going to put the sets in storage. Uh, and uh, But I realized I had enough in terms of costumes and sets and props to, to shoot 40 minutes of the second script. So I raised just a little more money from our investors and shot 40 minutes of the second one more recently. And uh, that's now been completely edited. And uh, where we stand now is um, we're completing the visual effects and the music and the sound mix and the color correction. The first half hour is nearly done. We're going to be showing the first half hour in its entirety at Comic-Con. We're going to have a panel and a booth at Comic-Con. Wow. And uh, so we'll show the entire first half hour. And then we're very close on the heels of that. We'll be completing the first hour. And and with our backers and our investors, we'll send them the material as it's completed. So we'll send them the first half hour, then the first hour. And then as we complete the third half hour and the fourth one, the two hours, we'll send that out. But meantime, I'm a speaker at the C21 Drama Summit in L.A. here in the next couple of weeks. And we're going to show the, the trailer and meet with studio execs and network execs. And then we'll be showing the first hour of Space Command. We're, taught, we're in discussion to show the first hour of Space Command at the C21 Drama Summit in London in November. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's, I hope we get to do that. And, and, and probably I'll arrange a screening for the fans in London as well when, when, when I'm there. And uh, I've been going back and forth to London quite a lot lately. I've been in London eight times in the last year and a half because we're also doing a feature with Lord Peter Hayne, who's in the House of Words. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But, um, but now where I stand is I'm rewriting the third Space Command script to match the first two. And then I'll rewrite the fourth one. My plan is to write all 12 hours uh, in the near future very soon, and so I have the entire season written. And we're planning to shoot more of the second story in the next few weeks. We're, we're in pre-production on that, and my plan is to shoot the, entire, the rest of the second two hours by the end of the year, um, even, if, even if the show isn't immediately picked up. Because the more we're shooting, the more we have material, the more credible we are and the, the more likely it is that we'll sell to one of the, one of the top buyers. And so I, I'm just continuing to, to complete Space Command as I go um, regardless. So people can still buy shares. They can still back the project. We're going to, you know, we, we did a second Kickstarter campaign that did very well as well for post-production. Um, it's continuing. So uh, when I look and and also it's challenging to get, to find the right visual effects people. I, mm -hmm. I teamed up with Ron Thornton, who had been the genius behind the visual effects on Battlestar. On, um, he did, he worked on, he designed Babylon 5. He worked on the Star Trek series and, and he inspired the, the artists, the artists who worked on Battlestar Galactica. And sadly, he was only able to finish the first sequence before he fell ill and, and passed away so again oh, there have been some very it was very sad and um but he but but that's so those are some of the twists and turns because because the one challenge with space command of course is that i've built it from the, the ground up so it's so i literally had to build my own studio and uh, and that's why it's taking longer than if i were at universal or paramount or any of those places but the, but the upside is that you know, I don't have to listen to any dumb ideas. You know, and, and to be fair, most of the executives I've worked with have been very smart and they haven't wrecked the show. But there's always the danger when you're working for a network or a studio that they'll say, OK, we want to you know, put a monkey in it or whatever, put a, put a cute kid or a, a, a goofy robot. And because they're writing the checks, you, have to, you can argue with them. But ultimately, at the end of the day, 
they can, you know, have their way. And I didn't want that to be the case with Space Command. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I'm very proud of what we've created, and I can't wait to share it with everyone. It's going to, I think everyone's going to love it. And Maya Bonhoff has written the novel based on our, our two-hour pilot, and she's a Star Wars novelist. And, um, and we're just continuing the pace. It's really fun. And if you go on Mr. Sci-Fi on my YouTube channel, you can watch scenes from Space Command, and you can watch extended trailers that show the first six hours of the storyline, because we've shot sequences from all six hours. And um, it's it's really great fun. And um, in the second two-hour story, we got James Hong from Blade Runner, and we got Ferran Tahir from JJ's uh, Star Trek and from Iron Man, and we got um, uh, John Hennigan, who's a wrestler who's been starring on a TV show called Glow. And uh, it just continues. You know, I'm, there's a lot of people I'm, to come. There's a lot of actors that, that you'll definitely recognize and be excited about. And um, so it just keeps going. And then, But in, but in traveling to England and pitching Space Command there as well as here, um, I ended up um, getting meeting some, produ from some film producers, and they came aboard one of Elaine's screenplays, and they had acquired a book by Lord Peter Hain. His parents were activists in South Africa, and, um, and they, my wife is very political. Her parents were communists. She was involved in the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement, and so when she meet, met Peter Hain, uh, you know, it was just, you know, they really hit it off, and so Elaine was hired to write that script about his parents in South Africa in the early 60s, and we're producers on that, and there's two producers in the UK. So Elaine's finishing that script now, and uh, in the next few weeks it'll be done and goes off to our partners, and then they're reaching out to movie stars to star in it. And um, and Charlotte Copley, who starred in District 9, is uh, Peter Haynes' cousin, and he's expressed interest in being in the film as well. So we're going to be having uh, a meeting with him shortly and uh, and pursuing that. So And then we have other feature projects and TV projects, um, that we are, uh, we're embarked upon. I mean, Space Command is my major project. That's my main project. I mean, I've, I've just sold a new book called Green Lighting Yourself about this whole um, journey where you can, how you can make your own film and t films and TV shows and not wait for studios and networks. And, um, but also I'm creating a new project where I'll be collaborating with six showrunners on six new shows. And um, one of them, it will be with Rockne O'Bannon who created Farscape and Alien Nation and Sequest and uh, um, a cult and um, it, you know and, and he's just an amazing guy he also created defiance and um, uh, so I've, I've generated about 250 ideas and we're batting things around to see what we want to work on and uh, but it'll be called the showrunners network and we're going to be announcing that at the drama summit in the next few weeks and uh, but that's a project for down the road <laughs> you know once we have space command <laughs> fully in hand and uh, but um, but that's yeah I, I just keep busy you know I, I come out of television and so uh, multitasking is is something I enjoy it's not a burden it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure oh cool I mean I was just wondering when do you actually sleep <laughs> <laughs> every now and then every now and then but uh, but I mean the good part is that Lane and I are very compatible and, and sort of at the same level of energy and, and drive and it would be terrible if I was married to someone who was saying why are you writing that script I want to you know I want to go out to you know bowling it's like oh god you know so but we never have those kind of conversations it's always you know we're both busy at busy typing away and um, and she's a wonderful director so I love directing with her and um, working with her on Space Command was just great great fun and uh, and laying out the season to come I mean there's some creature makers uh, there's a company called Imagineeric and um, and they, they we've, I've been wanting to work with them for several years and they've, they've been wanting to work with me so we just we're bringing them aboard to do, do some creatures for us for uh, for the second uh, Space Command story and that's going to be great great fun cool. so um, yeah so it just continues I mean you know it's uh, 
it's 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 neat and i'm working with people all over the world you know there's a, a visual artist a visual effects artist named Tobias Richter in Germany that i've been working with that i really like working with and uh, an italian guy named Nicholas Alanis who's uh, designed some alien spaceship interiors for us and and uh, an alien ship that looks just gorgeous and you know it's just it's just fun to find people with this similar enthusiasms where you can collaborate with them and create things you've never seen before and um, and I'm very thrilled with the, the, our actors and their performances. You know, it's uh, I think people are really going to like it a lot. It's going to be uh, it's like it's like having a Christmas present that you can give the world and they can unwrap. Oh, I can't wait! I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I've got I've only got two more questions for left for you, but one of them is sure. quite 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 a deep one. Um, something you talked about a lot on your YouTube channel last year was Star Trek Discovery, and one yes. thing that you brought up um, in one of your reviews. Uh, which actually struck a chord with me was the, was the fact that you initially thought that Tingy might be a touch Asperger's. Yes. Now, as a person with Asperger's myself, I I I'm, I actually have a diagnosis of, of a, a high um, you know high functioning autism spectrum condition. Um, yes. I'm I'm just um, I'm just wondering as a writer, you know, and and as someone that works in TV and and film, um, you know, if you if you had your, your your chance to actually ask questions to people with Asperger's syndrome about how how you you know how, how you'd go about writing them, as in how 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 they would like to see themselves portrayed, um, what sort of questions would you like to ask them? Yes, you know it's 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 a, it's a good question, and 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 I think you know. Um, you know, I've been going to science fiction conventions since I was a, a teenager, and I think science fiction actually is very attractive to many people with Asperger's because they tend to be very intelligent and 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 have challenges sometimes with social interaction, and so science fiction appeals uh, to I think many people who have Asperger's, and um, and so I've met many people with the with that that condition, and and uh, many many very brilliant people, in fact, and so you know it's funny because when when I when I saw that first episode of Star Trek Discovery, I thought. Oh, this is great! If she has Asperger's and 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 she, her ambition is to be a captain, it would be really great to unlock that and show that as a positive, you know, for all of her intelligence and her her emotional um, accessible, you know, being being so emotionally accessible. Uh, I thought that was a great opportunity. Now, sadly, as I watched the season, uh, I saw that no, that doesn't seem to be where they're going. She was just kind of like the comic foil, the girl who mm-hmm. talks too much when she's nervous. And I thought that was a, a hugely lost opportunity. And um, and then when they finally had her pretending to be a captain in the in the mirror universe, and she was kind of like bumbly and and ineffective, I thought, gosh, you know, I, I would so much rather see that character uh, come into her own and be and learn how to command and learn how to, and and turn out to be a great captain uh, because she's smart and she's curious, and curiosity and intelligence are two of the qualities that make for good. Um, leaders and good explorers, and certainly work really well in the Star Trek universe. So, so for me, uh, it's funny because it's like this is since that was the last opportunity that they had down the road. It's something that I should probably explore as putting a character into something I'm writing, because it, as you say, it's um, and, and 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 you're right. It's what I would. The first thing I I do with anything that I research is I start by talking to people who actually are whatever that is. And so, for instance, when I wrote a, a script about 
uh, homicide cops. I went and I hung out with homicide cops, and I dressed like them in suit and tie, and I went to murders. And so if I were writing a, a, a character with Asperger's, I would call my friends who have that, and I would just interview them. I'd say, what's this like? What was it like when you were a kid? What are the, what are the pluses and minuses? What's, what's, been, you know, what's, a, what's been the gift of it? What's been the, the, the challenge, challenge with it? And uh, you know, how's that, how's that you know, um, uh, shown up in your relationships with your family, with your, with your friends? When, did you first, when were you first aware that you were different from other kids? And I would ask all of these questions about, you know, what, you know, would you, if you had the choice to not have this, would you choose that? Or do you, or do you feel that, that it's something that makes you who you are? You know, it's that, it's that same question with, with, um, with, with gay, gay people, you know, there, there's this question of, okay, someday if they could alter one's genes, so you wouldn't be gay anymore, you'd be attracted to people of the opposite sex, would you choose that? And that's a very interesting question. That's, of course, where science fiction comes in, because it's that whole issue of what makes us who we are. And of course, what makes us who we are are not just our, our how we're like other people. What makes us who we are is how we're different from other people. And, um, you know, because certainly, uh, you know, I'm an oddball, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's what makes me a writer. And I mean, writers tend to be introspective. And, um, you know, the, the guy who's the, the, the football hero tends not to be a writer. You know, he tends to, you know, be well balanced. But, um, you know, uh, I mean, that was when I wrote The Twilight Zone Companion. That was one of the things I was fascinated about was what made these writers, the people they were who could come up with these amazing stories. And so I was very interested in finding out about George Clayton Johnson and Richard Matheson and Charles Beaumont and Serling. Serling was very outgoing, which was very rare for a writer. That's not the standard writer's personality, and, uh, but it worked. But, um, but so if I were writing an Asperger's character, those are that, those, that's where I would start. I would start with, well, for instance, I, um, I just wrote a pilot called um, uh, Night Meeting, and it's about a 12-step meeting for monsters and, uh, who don't want to be monsters anymore. And it's set in London, modern-day London. And I have a friend who's a physical trainer, and she's, she's British. And I found out that she, well, she also rescues dogs and she, um, uh, she, uh, she was a, uh, you know, she's a visual artist and she's also, she also has um, epilepsy. And I was very interested in that because that's such an interesting mix of, of qualities. So I, I interviewed, first of all, I said to her, would you, would it be okay with you if I based a character on you? And she said, yes. And um, so then I interviewed her and I said, what's it like? When did you first start having seizures? When, uh, when did you, um, you know, what, you, what, what, brought, what caused that? You know, what the cause of it was? What's it like in your daily life? She can't drive. And yet she has a very, very active and full life. So, um, so that was very, very interesting. And then I gave her the script to read and she was very gratified that I got, got it right in the script. Because I think when you're writing about any group, uh, whether it's black people, Asians, Muslims, you know, anybody, um, you have an obligation to get it right. And many, many television writers and um, film writers, I think, are very lazy and they just kind of make it up. And that's why you have such bad stereotypical um, characters and uh, because they're not basing it on someone real. And, um, you know, I think as a writer, you have an obligation to uh, honor uh, the reality that you're drawing upon. And not just do something once over lightly, so that it, may, it means you have to work harder. I mean, it's funny because people sometimes say to me, "Why is Space Command taking so long?" Well, it's taking so long because it's hard, and I'm doing it, getting it right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like uh, if, it, if it were if it weren't hard, I wouldn't started it. But you know, when something's hard, you either step back or you step up, and I, I choose to step up. You know, so that's um, that's my journey, and I, I don't regret it at all. Well, you know, I wish there were actually more writers like you. I mean, um, one of my one of my jobs because I have few day jobs. 
um, <laughs> is I'm actually um, I'm actually an autism peer mentor, and uh, oh, what what I do is um, we we have you know we we've had we we've had quite a bit of revolution here in the UK mm-hmm. with diagnosis and post diagnosis groups, and there's a lot of adults coming through but never got a proper diagnosis. I'm just getting one now. And, wow, that's um, great. and the, the, the post-diagnosis group, we actually talk about the, uh, the differences, the strengths, the weaknesses, and, and all that. And I yeah. kind of secretly wish that we could actually have a few entertainment writers just sit in and observe the, these, uh, these meetings, you know, yeah. in order to give them a, a better feel. Well, are you in London? You're, are you based in London? Where are you based? I'm based in Manchester. In Manchester? Well, maybe maybe I can arrange next time that I go to the UK I to, to swing up to Manchester. My family's from Manchester, so it would be fun. I've never been there, so maybe maybe we can arrange that and I can come and watch that, because I, I would find it very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, so that, let's see if we can make that happen next time I'm, I'm in the UK. Well, I could certainly link you up with, uh, with some people. I mean, uh, I mean I actually, uh, I'm actually a member of a... Um, a group that meets twice a month, um, uh, and it's, um, it's basically uh, an autism support and social group, and we, we just get together, talk, uh, wow. play games, and, 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 and all sorts of stuff like that. Um, That's great. So, you know, we, we're trying, I'm trying to get a cinema group going within that at the moment, and uh, various wow. other things for people, you know, so, so, you know, so, so that we, you know, people don't feel socially excluded. Yes, I think that's really important because, you know, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's an episode of The Twilight Zone called Eye of the Beholder, and it's about a woman who's in a hospital room and her head is wrapped in bandages, and she's waiting to see if the latest surgery has made her look normal, quote-unquote. And she makes this plea for wanting to be not so much like other people, but wanting to be among other people, wanting to be accepted by other people for who she is. And it, it's funny because Rod wrote that uh, so many years before the you know disabled rights or any of those things, and yet it's so it's got such empathy and such compassion and such understanding of our common humanity, and I think it's so important to recognize the strength in differences. You know that it isn't like this is so important now in the age of Trump, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. You know because, and that's why in Space Command I have you know Muslim characters and I have you know uh, African Americans and 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 Latinos and Asians and and the more the more varied the better you know, women and men, and, and, and we're going to have some transgender characters and all sorts of stuff. And, and Mira is, in a, is married to a woman. Her character is married to a woman in, in uh, you know, in, in Space Command. And so, because I think that the more uh, our, our work reflects the real world and is inclusive, the better. Because it's not a closed-down life where you're just interacting with people exactly like yourself is a, is a terrible waste of a life. You want to have variation. You want to have, because in variation, you see similarity. You know, and, you, and and what was a, what was scary loses that that charge and becomes just acceptable. You know, I think it's wonderful when when you have as wide a variety of people as possible in your life, and um, you know, so that's what I try and do in my work and in my life as well. Well, I just want to I just want to thank you for for, for for being like that as a person. Okay, sure, you're you're welcome, Ian. It's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, you know, I, I have the love of a good woman, and I think she keeps my feet on the ground. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm very lucky in that way. I've been with Elaine for uh, we've been together for 41 years and married for 40, and uh, I, I couldn't be happier with that. So, um, but but Elaine has always accepted everybody, and is very welcoming, and has a hugely open heart, and uh, and I and so that I think has kept me really really on the on the on the right path all these years. So. Um, so yeah, so it's been fun. It's fun working in science fiction. It's fun being able to have all of these adventures. 
Um, my my final question is on something a little bit less deep. <laughs> sure, I'm is, sure um, you it's um it's basically I caught a glimpse of a trainer for a for 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 something called Magic Time, which is based on your book series. And you know, I've got so I can't see yeah. see anything about it anywhere. Is is it a series, a film, or is it is it been made or? Well, here's here's the journey with Magic Time. Magic Time began as a pilot, a two hour spec pilot that for a TV series that Elaine and I wrote uh, some years ago, where all the machines in the world stop stop running and magic uh, takes over, and certain people change change into the sort of the mythical creatures they are by their nature. And some people get magical abilities. And I sold that as a trilogy of novels to Harper Collins. So the first one was written by Barbara Hamley and myself. The second one, Maya Bonhoff wrote uh, under my guidance, and the third one I wrote. And uh, and it was uh, it's a wonderful epic story. And my friend Christina Moses, who starred in the TV show Containment, and she's been on uh, regular on the originals. Now she's in a new show. She's just been shooting a pilot for uh, for ABC, and she played Sulu's daughter in my Star Trek episode with George Takei. Um, uh, she's attached as, as one of the one of the leads. So we recorded the, the 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 pilot as a radio play, and that's now available from Blackstone Audio and Skyboat Media. And I'm not pitching it as a series. So I've been talking to uh, the BBC Studios about it and Sonar and other other companies, and we'll see if we can set it up. It's definitely a show I want to do. And um, so once once we once we get Space Command properly launched, Magic Time is definitely one that I'd like to like to get get filmed. And my friend Armin Shimmerman also plays a role. He played Quark on Deep Space Nine and The Principal on Buffy. And, uh, and I'm very eager to shoot that that show as well. So that's uh, but yes, yeah, so on Mr. Sci-Fi you can watch the uh, the trailer and um, and what and one can go on Blackstone Audio's site and buy the both the unabridged audio books and uh, of the novels and uh, and the radio play as well. Mm. You know what you need to do? You need to try and get that adapted to comic book. It's a natural yeah. fit. <laughs> that's, that's a great idea. That's a good suggestion. So maybe that's something I'll bring my attention to in my, in my copious free time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have uh, lots of it. <laughs> yes, yes. But, 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 but I love comic books and, and graphic novels. And so this is, uh, thanks for the suggestion. It's something I'll, uh, I'll definitely uh, explore. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, Mark, thanks so much for your time. It's been great, you know, catching up with you, and uh, well. the very best of luck with it, uh, with it, with it all. You know, I, I, I honestly can't wait to see Space Command, and and um, you know, there's lots of stuff that you've mentioned that I've actually not seen. That I'm wanting to look up and check out, and um, cool. and I'm still going to continue to enjoy your channel and, um, and and everything else. So. Thanks, thanks for your time. It's been great having you on. Thanks. Well, great. Well, thanks very much. I've enjoyed the interview, and we'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Hi, this is Jeff Nimoy, and you're listening to SFP Now on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio. And that was the uh, fantastic Mark Vickery, um, Space Command, Snyder's, and uh, magic time, and 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 that it was really great having having Mark on, and he's always a always a great guy to talk to about science fiction and fantasy. Um, we'll be back again soon with uh, more excitement. Um, we have um, a show coming up with uh, Patrick and I. It's going to be the sequel to our pre-Star Wars ramblings. Um, it's, this is going to be our post-Star Wars ramblings about um, about Solo, um, a Star Wars story so 
Uh, look out for that and hopefully we'll have some really good interviews coming up in the future as well. So bye for now.